Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Locked In Science for another week. My name is Claire and just like last week, I am still uh, at my house, but joining you through the, uh, I wouldn't say magic of technology, let's say through the science of technology. And today on Locked In Science, well, we've got Chris and Stu with us. Am I right? Oh, of course. You are. And what have you brought us uh, for another week of Locked in Science this week? Chris? Well, Claire, we've enjoyed doing a lot of non-coronavirus stories in Locked in Science in recent weeks. But I thought I would come back to some COVID content because there's been there's been stuff happening. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, just like the virus, you know, it, it pops up and then it disappears for a while, but it's going to pop up again, right? And so yeah. must our vigilance in um, reporting about it. And appropriately, this is a resurgence of a previous story. I don't know if you remember that back in the early days, I did a story about a drug called hydroxychloroquine mm-hmm. that was being pushed by certain people due to some, I suppose, what looked like dodgy research from some independent researchers like the private research organizations well there has been more dodgy research from uh private research organizations this time on the other side uh, studies claiming that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous and it's been a bit of a debacle in um in covid science so i thought i'd have a bit of a look at that always good to come back to a story that we've covered a little while ago and update Mm. on what we actually know. We did promise that we would come back to this one. So yeah, I feel it's appropriate. Excellent. And Stu, what do you have for us this week? Well, I'm actually going back in time a little bit as well. Um, I just was reading in the last week about some research in the field of CRISPR technology and some of the CRISPR, obviously being the um, gene editing technology. Oh, I thought it was yeah. the thing in the bottom of your fridge that keeps <laughs> the veggies. <laughs> that always, no matter yeah. how vigilant you are, it always yeah. gets manky after the yeah. after a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Yeah, we need we need to. Uh, you could probably use CRISPR to develop new veggies that don't go manky in the bottom of the fridge, but that's <laughs> not really what we're talking about. Basically, I'm looking at the the medical uses of the CRISPR technology, and there's been quite a few um, sort of leaps forward in that respect and uh, trials and things going on in human subjects and stuff as well. So I'll just go go over a little bit of the advances in that arena. Well, it sounds like we have some updates for you this week. On with the show. Okay, so yes, you're listening to Locked in Science, and we did talk about the drug hydroxychloroquine early in the pandemic, and particularly the controversy around hydroxychloroquine. 
that controversy is only compounded now. And I think it shows how we need to be cautious of uh, science that is rushed out during the panic of a pandemic. Sure. And I mean, it was... I guess, brought into sharp focus because of a certain politician who was, I guess, made it a household name overnight, right? That is absolutely true. And that the political aspects of this is what complicates the whole thing. Yeah, look, I think it's good to try and focus on the science. But yeah, the political aspects of it are what have made this an issue, I guess you could say. So yeah, to just give a brief recap. So this is the drug hydroxychloroquine that was pushed by uh, President of the United States, Donald Trump, who called it the biggest game changer in the history of medicine. Always one to understate things, I suppose. So this was on the basis of some work by some French researchers who had published uh, some small observational studies that claimed that this drug, which is an anti-malarial drug, has been used for quite a while, that it was effective against COVID-19, especially when combined with the antibiotic azithromycin so after particularly after donald trump's um exaggeration it was you know taken up by a lot of people the countries around the world made it their standard treatment despite a lack of good trials um there were people who were harmed by overdosing on it uh, there was panic buying that led to shortages for people who depend on it because it's also used for things like uh treating autoimmune disorders like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus so yeah, it was a bit of a mess at the time. Since then, there has been there's been further mess. There's um there have been more studies, uh, including some randomised controlled trials, which I will get to a little bit later on. But there's also been a lot more stockpiling by the likes of Clive Palmer in Australia, who um took out you know full page ads in newspapers announcing that he was buying huge stocks for Australia. And Donald Trump recently revealed that he was taking it prophylactically, although he did recently also claimed he had stopped taking it, possibly due to the controversy that we're talking about today. Everything changed on the 22nd of May when a study was published in the medical journal The Lancet that uh, showed that there was a greatly increased mortality in patients taking hydroxychloroquine. So this was another observational study. It combined data from 96,000 patients from around the world and uh, in their results, they said that 18% of those taking hydroxychloroquine died, compared with 9.3% in the control group. So that is a huge difference. It sounds pretty significant. It sounds very significant. Yeah, like it was kind of then jumped on by a lot of people with a kind of I told you so, people who had been a bit sceptical of this particular drug. Uh, and it led to consequences like the WHO dropped the hydroxychloroquine arm of its big solidarity trial, which is investigating multiple treatments for COVID-19. Now, it is kind of odd to have such a big response, like a practical response to, to just one study. But I mean, we're talking about a fairly big difference in mortality here, as it sounds like. Still, though, that was also quite a strange result when you have this drug that has been used uh, for many years for many other conditions and the people generally thought is correctly would be safe that it should actually make such a big difference in mortality so perhaps that should have rung some alarm bells you know in the first place Uh, because people did start to notice some problems with the study and notably looking at the close to home impacts of this there was an investigation from the guardian newspaper and they found that the um the published article had reported 73 deaths from COVID 19 in australia by the 21st of april 2020. in fact there had only been 61 deaths in australia by that date so that was a little bit odd they went and 
asked the authors about this, who responded saying that they had mistakenly included an Asian hospital in their Australian data. And so they, they issued a correction, uh, but said it didn't really change their conclusion. It was still a bit of an odd thing though, and especially because no one quite knew where the data was coming from because you know, they, the Guardian also contacted Australian hospitals, including the Alfred in Melbourne, who denied sharing their data. And it's one of the main hospitals treating infectious diseases in Australia. Um, they denied sharing their data with the authors. And so it kind of raised the questions of where this data had come from. So where it actually came from was from a private company called Surgisphere, which is run by one of the co-authors on the paper, um, a bloke called Sapan Desai. Now, Surgisphere is based in Illinois. Uh, it bills itself as a healthcare analytics company, but it was founded in 2008, mostly for publishing medical textbooks. But this 2020, it has had a huge kind of increase in profile because it has been one of the leading analyzers of big data on COVID-19. And yet no one can quite figure out what they're doing and where they're getting their data from and how they're analyzing it. Is there a incentive for the researchers to be, I guess, transparent about where this data is coming from and therefore, I guess, you know, uh, this organisation to be transparent as well? Well, that's a that's a very good question. There is um, an increasing push for transparency in medical research because we are seeing people are getting very concerned about the quality of medical research in recent years. And yeah, there is big pushes for transparency. It's complicated, I think, when you have these kind of studies, which are big data observational studies. So they're using uh, health records from around the world. And um, there's a whole lot of issues about contractual arrangements and privacy and this kind of stuff. It's actually very complicated, which itself is an odd thing because this is a fairly, a very small organization. Um, the Guardian's research, or sorry, investigation kind of indicated that it only had a handful of employees, this company. Not really any of them seem to have a scientific background. And yet somehow it claimed to have these data sharing arrangements with uh, hospitals from around the world. And no one could quite figure out which hospitals either. Um, and in fact, this it seems like the other authors on this Lancet paper who weren't associated with Surgisphere, they were also kind of started to question this. So they, um, after initially issuing their correction based on the, the problems that The Guardian had found. They uh, tried to do an independent audit of the data, but Surgisphere was unable to provide the data in a form that the auditor could examine. And so they were forced to retract their paper and it was retracted on the 5th of June. So that was just um, just very wow. recently that, that work was, yeah, was pulled. So essentially, effectively from the scientific point of view, we are back from where we were before the 22nd of May when it was published. The WHO has resumed its trials of hydroxychloroquine um, and I think people are trying to pretend this didn't happen, but it does kind of raise a lot of questions mm. and it has other impacts as well. So like um, Surgisphere is not the only work they've been involved in. There was another paper retracted recently from the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at the effect of anti-angiotensin drugs on COVID-19. Yeah, what's an angiotensin drug? These are, I believe, are involved in like blood pressure medication, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and that paper was was retracted as well. There's also some work they published on an anti-parasitic drug called ivermectin, which weighed a big splash in Latin American com um, countries because this drug is used a lot in countries like Peru, 
And so it had been then kind of rapidly distributed because on the basis of research from Sergisphere's data. But again, that has now been called into question. People have noticed all kinds of weird things in that data too. And yeah, it's starting to seem like you can't really trust anything that they have put out. That's certainly to be the view that is going on here. Sounds like a lot of red flags for that data set. A lot of red flags, which kind of makes you wonder how this got through in the first place. So like one of the things we're seeing with the pandemic is there obviously is a, it's a lot of rush to get stuff done. There's a lot of rapid research, a lot of the um, recommendations being made by official, you know, official government organizations. They're being based now on preprints um, rather than published research. And yet, I mean, this study we're talking about though was not a preprint. It was published in The Lancet, which is one of the world's leading medical journals. It went through all the processes. Um, and yeah, and Clee seemed to have so many flaws. Now you could argue that retraction is kind of part of the, the process. It's kind of how we correct the scientific record when there's been um, something wrong done, but we shouldn't have to deal with that because again, a lot of harm can be done by this bad research getting out there in the interim. I mean, ultimately, there may not be any real damage done. Um, there is still work continuing, research continuing on hydroxychloroquine. There have been a number of other studies published, including some randomized controlled trials. They generally show that it is, seems to be ineffective. Um, they don't show the level of mortality that the Surgisphere data claim to show, though. But yeah, officially, they're still waiting on large randomized controlled trials to determine um, definitively whether it's effective and safe. But yeah, you know, like the political aspect is interesting as well. Um, I have seen people spreading theories on social media that the whole affair was like a, a left-wing conspiracy to bring down Trump, which I don't know about that. I mean, when you consider that the Guardian newspaper was kind of leading the investigation into the, the problems with this research, it hardly seems like, you know, you'd expect them to be part of the left-wing conspiracy is what I'm saying. I don't know. It's also an odd one because I can't quite figure out what game Surgisphere is playing in all of this. You know, like I said, they're a small organization. They have greatly increased their profile, but it's not clear what they seem to do. Yes, it seems like their data is unreliable, but there's still data there. So it's not clear where they're getting from. They produced a whole lot of different kind of aspects, bits of research, um, decision tools and things. So there's a lot of work on into this stuff. And even though it is not necessarily good quality, possibly, you know, even something made up, who knows? It's, you know, they're still putting work into it. So I don't know whether it's a, it is a scam to make money from their side of things or whether they maybe they're just cutting corners, but they have good intentions. Or maybe the, the perils of... Uh, not enough time and a lot of pressure to be able to produce results um, in, you know, around sort of, you know, what is actually going to be the next big breakthrough to treat COVID-19. Well, certainly from the people who are using their data, I would say that is what's going on there. But for them themselves who are essentially selling their data or selling their research around the world, they've positioned themselves in this way. So they're an active player in this. And then no one, no one was asking them to do this. They've stepped up and, and done it. Well, I guess there's a demand out there though, right? Yeah, absolutely. There is a demand out there. And this has definitely shown that there's a demand out there. But it just shows, I guess, that we need to be, to be careful of these things. I mean, there absolutely. is a lot of potential. People talk about the potential for big data and certainly the idea that there are these these independent research organizations that are doing mm. stuff with this data. I mean, there is a lot of potential there, I guess, but 
You gotta remember, this is also what got us started on the hydroxychloroquine problem in the first place, was this kind of observational studies from independent organizations. So yeah, look, it is such a, a bit of a shame that it seems like we can't necessarily rely on what's coming out from them. And we just have to be more careful of it. But uh, yeah, look, um, I don't know. I've been trying to find a moral in this story and I'm not sure what it is. Just buyer beware, I guess. So we've talked before on Lost in Science about CRISPR technology, which is a way of editing DNA to make permanent changes to genes and then basically put them back into living organisms. CRISPR actually stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. Uh, but I think I'll just stick with CRISPR for the for the duration of this story because it's a I'm bit not going to read that out every time. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a, li- a little bit uh, easier to remember as well. Um, so the the actual technology itself is based on a bacterial antiviral defense system. So they basically found this in bacteria and then went, oh hey, we can use that to to do what we want to do with it. So they've altered it to target specific gene sequences and remove them or disable them. So some of the, you know, news about CRISPR has been quite controversial. There was a guy who, you know, injected himself with CRISPR altered genes to try and make himself a a superhuman of some description who later regretted it. I must say Uh, he came out later on and said that was a really bad idea. Yeah, um, and no there's also kidding. yeah, injecting yourself with uh, with oh with God. edited DNA is probably not the smartest thing you can do with your time. Some, um, some sort of aspirational the... Spider-Man there. Yeah, it's the only way no one can get superpowers, really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, there's also the uh, Chinese doctor who edited the genome of a pair of twins uh, to try and make them have an innate immunity to HIV. Um, who apparently this case has also been uh, increasingly controversial. There's even more uh, breaches of ethics and stuff in that case. So that's an ongoing debacle, basically. But the technology itself obviously has a huge potential for pretty much every field of biology and biological research. And it's, it's likely to have an impact on everything from agriculture to medicine, And the number of CRISPR patent applications each year has been increasing since the technology appeared in 2012. And globally, there are now hundreds of applications, of patent applications awaiting uh, approval. The first step to using CRISPR technology in medicine hinges on safety testing of the edited DNA and edited cells in human test subjects and this seems like uh, that hurdle has actually been cleared so results published by a team from the University of Pennsylvania have shown that altered T cells are safe for use in human patients in the treatment of cancer. Now unfortunately the editing that they did to these T cells didn't actually have the effect they were hoping for but the upside of it was that they've shown that it's actually safe to use this kind of technology in human 
test subjects. So that's that's good, even though you know the actual uh, effect they were looking for didn't actually amount to much. And and there were also there were only three patients in that trial, but none of them showed any side effects after being uh, treated with the cells. And the altered T cells survived and multiplied in all those patients. So they basically put living cells back into these people and those cells then self-replicated. So that's a, you know, a big step forward. Now, boosting cancer patient T cell numbers has been a treatment for some years, but these CRISPR cells were boosted with cancer targeting genes, which was intended to make them more effective in, in locating cancer infected cells. Uh, and and sort of knocking them out, but um, apparently that didn't uh, didn't work all that well. So other uh, researchers uh, have used CRISPR technology to switch off genes that cause a congenital disorder, which causes blindness, um, and the disorder is called Leber congenital amaurosis ten, um, and basically they switched off the genes in these people's eyes that were causing the blindness. So it actually, they actually used the CRISPR technology in living humans inside their body. So that's the first time that's ever actually been done. So they edited the cells in their actual eyes and changed their genetics, basically. Wow. Every every other uh, sort of use of it has been they've taken cells out and edited them and then put them back in. Now, the, the issue with doing it when the cells are in someone's body is that they can't actually be sure that the CRISPR technology is not editing other cells as well. So the, there's a bit of a drawback in that they can they can use it in this way, but they can't sort of quality control. So when, when they've got cells in a, you know, sort of outside of the body, they can check each one and see that they're all edited okay and then just put those ones that worked back into the body. If they're putting the putting the technology into someone's body, there's not really any control over what it does once it's in there. So there's there's a bit of an issue with safety in that sort of respect. Yeah, so I guess, you know, when you're looking at something like that, you you know that the gene is responsible for a certain condition and you're fixing that, but that same genes may be doing other things in other parts of the body so you kind of i suppose do they just inject it into the eye in that case and hope that it doesn't spread elsewhere i mean yeah i mean i guess i guess that's pretty much what they did is what they sort of went well we've got to switch it off in the eyes mm. so we'll just introduce it to the eyes but but it is a you know it is an active technology it's not it's not something that just sort of disappears it may actually move to other parts of the body as well so CRISPR is also being used to treat other inherited genetic disorders. For example, sickle cell anemia. So sickle cell anemia is a blood condition which does actually confer some resistance to malaria in the people who have it, but it's also really, really bad as far as it reduces the amount of oxygen that gets carried in the blood and things like this. So basically they have used the CRISPR technology to switch on a gene to make an alternate form of hemoglobin in the blood, which is only usually present in fetal uh, humans. And they've gone, oh yeah, we can actually switch that gene back on to make this different kind of hemoglobin. And then the people suffering from sickle cell anemia uh, get more oxygenated blood because they've 
producing a different kind of hemoglobin, which is pretty amazing, really. Right. So that's, um, that's more like a workaround rather than, yeah, I guess, sort of yeah. fixing the gene that's responsible for um, giving the sickle cell anemia. Yeah, that's right. They've still got sickle cell anemia, but they've actually got an additional production of hemoglobin that allows them to to have better lives, basically. So it's also being uh, investigated for use in xenotransplants, which is where um, transplant organs are taken from non-human donors, like pigs, for example, and transplanted into humans. So they are using CRISPR editing to downregulate genes that cause immune responses in humans that would cause the uh, organs to be rejected after the transplant. So they're basically, you know, using the CRISPR technology to edit the pig's DNA so that then the organs from the pig is then uh, less likely to be rejected from the human uh, recipient. And this is potentially useful for providing livers and hearts, which are always in short supply for these kind of transplant operations, but also potentially um, may be able to provide corneal transplants, which will cure some forms of blindness, and maybe even replacement islet cells, which are the cells that produce insulin. So people who have diabetes, which is type 1 diabetes, may be able to have transplanted islet cells and they'll be able to produce their own insulin and then they won't be you know, reliant on injecting insulin again. So yeah, you know, this, this CRISPR technology has just got such a huge potential for solving a whole lot of health problems that, that really have no other solution because they are genetic uh, health problems, their inherited health issues. And obviously these kind of medical breakthroughs um, get a lot more of the headlines and they get a lot more news written about them because people are concerned about their own health. But the uh, applications of CRISPR technology is so wide and uh, far-reaching. I think every other industry to do with living things, CRISPR is going to have uh, impacts on our lives directly Uh, in the future. have time for on another episode of locked in science this week locked in science is normally recorded in the studios of 3cr but is recorded right now in chris stew and claire's own homes on the lands of the Kulin nation with the kind support of the community broadcasting foundation and broadcast across australia on the community radio network please get in contact with us if you would like to have a chat tell us what stories you would like to learn about maybe you want chris to do another hydroxychloroquine update in a couple of months um he's probably going to do it anyway so 
<laughs> why not let us know you can find us at lostinsight@gmail.com. find us on twitter or you can just uh tune in again next week when Stu, Chris and Claire get lost, lost in, in science. science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.